0: Hi everyone. My name is Maisha, and my name is Zara, and you're listening to That's What They Said, where we break
1: down the them versus us narrative.
0: I have a cold today, so apologies if I if my voice comes off as groggy. <laughs> Um, Before we go into today's episode, uh, we want to thank our listeners for the continued support. Uh, We always welcome any sort of feedback, any comments you have. So if you do have any, feel free to reach out to us at our email, which is that's what they said, CA at gmail.com. Or you can follow us on Instagram. Our handle is that's what they said, CA. Or you can tweet us at what they said, CA. Yes. Okay. So let's get into today's topic. I'm very notorious
1: for taking too many cabs, and anybody who knows me knows that I've wasted way too much of my money on it when I shouldn't have. Yes, she has. Yeah. (laughs) Um, But you know what I spend more than my money on when taking cabs? It's my time. The amount of time mm. I spend hailing a cab, waiting for a ride to match on a taxi app, or even arguing with people who are trying to steal my cab—it's just <laughs> too ridiculous. Like the effort is almost not worth it. But you know, you don't take as many cabs as me, Maisha. So, do you have any frustration with cabs?
0: Oh, absolutely. I mean, I can—I'd like to share a story. This is tell last us, year after my um, work Christmas dinner. Um, it was around, like, I think, what 12:30 or 1 a.m. Uh, I got out, and because. The dinner was in downtown. Mm-hmm. So I finished up. And I literally was walking around downtown for a good 40 minutes trying to get a cab. And it was a Saturday. Sorry, it was a Friday night. Mm-hmm. So it was quite busy. And it was 1 a.m. So, you know, that part of downtown is also where clubs and bars. Are, yeah. So people were just also wrapping up and going home. And it was crazy. I, I And my phone died. And the bus stopped <laughs> Classic at my show. Yes, of course. <laughs> and I was like, oh, my God. So can you imagine? For 40 minutes, I walked around trying to get a cab on a cold December yes. night. It was pretty frustrating. I've done it too. And it was all because there's just not enough cab to meet the demand at that moment. Yeah. So that's why as a per- as a customer, I just had to go around for so long looking yeah. for a cab.
1: hmm So currently, Vancouver is the largest metropolitan city in North America without any ride-hailing apps.
0: I know some listeners are like, what the hell? But it is absolutely true. Yeah. This is sad, but it is true. <laughs> yes. Even
1: Bangladesh has
0: ride-hailing yeah. apps like Uber, But we
1: don't. And here's a little background on why. Mm -hmm. So you know how taxis need licenses to operate, right? Well, in Vancouver, taxi drivers or taxis, they need to have two licenses to operate. This is a provincial license and a city license. Mm -hmm. This increases their operating costs because of the cost of the licenses. And because the cost is so high, this leads to less taxis on the street. The licenses, they further prevent drivers from picking up riders outside of their licensed city. So the cost of the taxi ride itself becomes very high for them. The wait times, they average higher than usual. They average 24 minutes. And then because of that, the refusals are higher. So taxis refusing to take you. But, you know, there's good news at the end of all of this. Some of you may have already heard. Fellow Vancouverites, we're finally getting Uber and Lyft.
0: Mm -hmm. They'll finally
1: be allowed to operate in Vancouver and, well, all over BC, actually, soon. So that's great news.
0: So we'll probably not have to wait for, like, more than five minutes to get a cab. I'm
1: hoping. I'm hoping because sometimes you just need a cab in the morning. You're running late. (laughs) Like, you need something. Like, I cannot walk to the train station right now. But, yeah.
0: So I guess today our episode is about looking into what the, whether the benefits of ride-hailing apps mm-hmm. are enough to outweigh the challenges that they present and how it impacts the future of transportation and future of urban planning in general. So we'll be discussing ride-sharing uh, versus three aspects, congestion, public transit, taxi drivers, and then we'll be looking into the future of urban city planning. Let's just dive in. Mm-hmm. So... To give you guys some background about ride sharing, and most of you might know about it, but do we just want to summarize? Around 2009, um, Uber started uh, as the first ride-hailing app. It was quite revolutionary. Mm-hmm. Uh, the business model that they had, which is essentially an app, you can open an app and in, you know match yourself as a rider with a driver who's available in the vicinity. And within a few minutes, you can get it transportation which can deliver you to your destination yeah now similarly in other countries we have uh dd in china ola in india and even in bangladesh we have our own local startup patao yeah it's doing great yeah and patao is actually a bengali word Yes. Yeah. Uh, send. send yeah um, and then there's grab and gojek in southeast asia so ride sharing uh, sorry ride hailing has truly disrupted the transportation industry um not just with respect to taxis but also which we'll discuss in detail the impact it it has had on public transit every place or every jurisdiction has its own version of how ride sharing works so essentially the is a business model of ride sharing that has disrupted the industry at the end of the day this business model truly prioritizes the convenience of the customer the passenger Mm -hmm. also just to give you guys some um, clarification between ride sharing and ride hailing apps essentially uber lyft um, grab Go check these apps. All of them actually started out as ride-hailing apps because it is an app where, as a customer or a passenger, I can log into it and you know it'll match me with a driver who's in the vicinity, and I'll get on the car, get in the car, and it'll deliver or take me to my destination. Now, a lot of these apps have now started, and not when I say now, I mean in the last couple of years have started accommodating multiple passengers in the same vehicle, and which is why that's called ride-sharing. Yeah. So Mm -hmm. we just want to clarify because throughout our episode today, we'll be referring to both. But at the end of the day, we're talking about essentially all of these transportation network companies who have disrupted transportation and urban planning with their business model.
1: Mm -hmm. Okay, so one of the aspects that we're considering is congestion. Congestion and ride-hailing apps, they always get put together to describe the challenges and the benefits that come from it. So the initial promise of ride-hailing services was to help reduce congestion and essentially increase mobility, which Mm -hmm. would have led to the reduction in congestion. But the majority of studies, they show that ride-hailing apps like Uber and Lyft, they've actually led to an increase in congestion, Mm -hmm. particularly in densely populated cities, say like New York or Boston or Toronto or something like that. So simply put, There are just more vehicles out there on the road at a particular point in time, which obviously means more congestion, right? Mm -hmm. So the number of private vehicles out on the streets is actually significantly higher. But ride-sharing vehicles are contributing to this because, after all, more cars on the street. So because of this congestion problem, cities are now being forced to intervene and they're adding restrictions to certain to the ride-hailing services, such as Uber and to Lyft. And they're doing this because they really want to prevent the negative consequences that come with congestion. For a congested city like New York, like you don't want to be adding to the troubles of just commuting through a huge population, huge number of cars on the road. So what they've done is they've... Cap the number of ride-hailing vehicles mm-hmm. and they've developed a model called congestion pricing where an oh. additional fee is charged for driving in parts of the city parts of the city which are more congested
0: oh that's pretty mm-hmm. efficient actually. yeah
1: yeah and uber they're not too happy with the capping of course but they are somewhat cooperating with congestion pricing yeah but
0: yeah so I guess even big ride-hailing companies like Uber and Lyft acknowledge that they are contributing to the congestion in big cities. Yeah. So these companies have gone public, uh, Uber early in the year. They have realized that they have a greater social responsibility towards the passengers and the communities they serve at large. These companies, although a bit reluctant and stiff at the beginning yeah they're now slowly growing warm to the idea of the fact that they have to play a part in solving the problem of congestion Mm -hmm. so they have so shown some support to the congestion pricing that Zara was explaining yeah which will tax not only ride-hailing companies but private vehicles too so this creates an incentive for people to choose ride sharing that is when you're on the uber app you can choose the uber carpool option yeah which will essentially mean there are more passengers in one vehicle Possibly leading to less vehicles on the road mm-hmm. and hence less congestion. Yes, right. So, if now if we look at if we look at developing economies, according to a World Economic Forum article, ride-hailing apps create more congestion in emerging economies. Now, if we take the example of Manila in the Philippines, ride-hailing services have added an estimated ten thousand to fifteen thousand oh. vehicles to the roads every day in a city that already is actually one of the most like, densely populated and has worse traffic. Yeah. So drivers often find themselves that they have to, it takes them a long time to get to customers and since and the situation is the same in many other um big cities of emerging economies that it'd be taka in mm-hmm. Bangladesh, cairo in egypt nairobi in kenya karachi in pakistan or lagos in nigeria so congestion essentially is a huge problem for these cities and ride-hailing app is contributing to making yeah. that worse right but And the article uh, actually ends by saying that, you know, in the medium to long term, governments should be investing in mass transport solutions such as metro lines, light rail and bus rapid transit system, essentially public transit, to address these issues sustainably. Now, see, when I read this article, Mm -hmm. I was like, okay, you know what? This is something I know. I bet you know and a lot of our listeners know that at the end of the day a big solution to congestion would be improving public transit Yeah. so as a because
1: it can transport a mass number of people
0: exactly right it's more efficient Mm -hmm. but the way the way, the, the way it was written, I felt like it was, as if it's so easy, you know, you got to consider, like if I think about in Bangladesh, for us to even get our, say, rail, you know, light rail system up and running, yeah. it's taken years to, for the construction to even start. Yeah. So, in a lot of emerging economies, there's a lot of bureaucracy, a lot of red tape. So, for that public infrastructure to actually materialize, mm-hmm. it takes a long time. Yeah. So, we're talking about, say, 10 years. Mm-hmm. So, are we going to expect what people to suffer in, Congestion in the meantime. Because of that, these ride-hailing apps provide a short-term solution. Yeah. Right. If we think about all of these local apps, like you think about Batao in Bangladesh, mm-hmm. right? Batao actually even has an option of you uh, of motorcycles yes. on its app. That's so, so cool, Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and motorcycles are something. And you know, Dhaka is one of the most densely populated cities, and it's got some of the worst traffic in the world. Yes. But motorcycles are able to zigzag through the traffic <laughs> yeah. and yeah. essentially take people to either their work or business meetings mm-hmm. and. A lot of people use it because at the end of the day, I'm not gonna sit and wait for I don't know some light rail system to be up and running. Yeah, <laughs> like my well, I don't know how
1: much ass. zigzagging through traffic helps other traffic flow properly, but I see what you mean, and I know from just talking to other people in Bangladesh who do use Batao and they love the service. Like it's so convenient for them. Yeah. And who's gonna wait around for the train, right? Who's gonna? And it, who knows when it's? Yeah, going who knows home. when it's gonna be built? At yeah. the same time, buses in Bangladesh yeah. or other countries like Bangladesh. Yeah. Maybe not everybody uses it. Not everybody feels safe using it. There's Mm -hmm. so many other factors Mm -hmm. to consider, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So along with carpooling, ride-hailing companies are, they're promising to work with the authorities to integrate more players into Mm -hmm. their business model. Mm -hmm. And one of these players is public transit. So ride-sharing, just like we've been saying, it has affected public transit. Majority of the studies, such as the study by Grayler, Muji and Erhard, they show that the decline in ridership of public transits like bus and rail is occurring because of ride-hailing mm-hmm. services. And why wouldn't it, right? Because ride-sharing services like Uber and Lyft, they've become popular because they of- offer a convenient alternative mm-hmm. to the crowded public transportation, stressful st- city driving, and in developing countries, stressful just driving conditions, traffic, whatnot. So ride-hailing apps like Uber and Lyft, they initially claimed that they would compete with public transit, they almost challenged them. But since then, they've changed their tone, just like they've changed their tone about congestive pricing. And now they want to complement public Mm -hmm. transit. And by complement, they want to run side by side with it, they want to integrate it into their systems. So they say that it's the right thing to do, quote-unquote, they said it's the right thing to do, it's the right solution for the consumer high time, companies (laughs) start thinking about consumers. And, well, in the end, it's going to help them. When Mm -hmm. you make consumers happy, your profits go up. Yeah. Yeah. But ride-sharing and public transit, they actually do complement each other really well. And this is finally being realized. For example, ride-sharing, it can operate on routes where public transit isn't present or it's not as present. So you can combine different modes of transport with ride-sharing.
0: Well, I actually think about that, that, you know, you can um, get... People essentially from, say, places where buses are not very active. Exactly, yeah. And, you know, people can take an Uber or a Lyft, right? Or wherever they are in whichever country. And that would take them to, like, the train station. Yeah, the closest you know? train station. Exactly, yeah, right? Mm-hmm. So that's definitely a, a Integration. partnership. Integration, yeah. yeah.
1: So Uber is actually partnering with taxis. They're partnering with other ride-sharing services, car-sharing co-ops, sea mm-hmm. buses, trains, and they're combining them all into their app. So now mm-hmm. when you open their app, you can scroll through and find the easiest mode of transport for you. And then so it's, might, like, a, it's yeah. like a one-stop shop. Yeah. One-stop shop. all transportation, yeah. essentially. As they like to say, they want to be the Amazon of ride-sharing or transit yeah. or, yeah. Yeah. But, you know, even though there's this integration, there's still not a consensus on whether, in the long run, ride-sharing leads to greater usage of public transit.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I and I think in, in light of the fact that, you know, I mean, I don't see as a customer, as a, Person who lives in a city. I don't see public transit ever going away. I do think it's necessary yes, right? because for sure. you're able to transport such a large number of people over long distances, mm-hmm. and so it's greater bang for your buck essentially by public transit. So what I would rather suggest is you know that it would help if there's like greater collaboration between the municipal governments, uh, the public transit systems, and these ride-hailing companies. Like, let's look at what do these companies have to offer, right? Yeah. Um. So. At the end of the day, these car, these ride-hailing apps have, like, essentially a lot of data, right? Ooh. And we talked about data in a previous episode. Yes, yes, And this is another way it's where... It's all interconnected. Yeah. But this is another way where, you know, these car, ride-hailing app companies are collecting so much data in real time, right? Mm-hmm. And and I'm talking about like in huge amount. Um, so the use of data analytics in transportation and subsequently in urban planning is relatively new. So with the advent of these transportation network companies like Uber and Didi and Ola, etc., these companies have amassed a huge amount of data, data that can be used by the city authorities. And that just goes to say that there's a chance for collaboration. So for example, in China, Didi, which is actually... The biggest ride ride hailing app in the country, and I think it's bigger than Uber. Probably, uh, it's China. <laughs> <coughs> so Didi has about five hundred fifty million users, taking an average of thirty million rides oh every day across more than four hundred cities. Every day, every day. Oh wow! So can you imagine? It's like how much data that is. that's like how many data points you get just by from one consumer, mm-hmm. right? Because you're able to understand based on the app usage and the ordering of, a tap, ordering of a ride on that app, that which area in the city is more congested or in high in demand, mm-hmm. right? Um, so essentially, um, that allows Didi to collect plenty of data about its users from their travel habits to traffic conditions in various cities. And a lot of these cities that uh, are covered by Didi are actually some of the most densely populated cities. Yeah. Um, so Didi then started this new initiative in 2018. It's called the DD Smart Transportation Brain. And mm. it's been adopted in more than 20 Chinese cities. And it is guided by three principles. Discover, decide, and deploy. So what DD is essentially doing is it is integrating its robust, like anonymized data like mm. from writers, as well as data resources from local government and business partners. And they are... The solution is that it facilitates real-time data leveraging cloud computing and AI-based technologies to provide cities with the range of transportation infrastructure improvements. For example, smart traffic signals. Mm -hmm. So the traffic lights are changing based on the real-time data that they're getting about traffic congestion. So... That's just one example of how they're using data to essentially help traffic congestion in the city. They're also looking at reversible lanes and traffic management programs for maintenance scheduling and system assessments Mm -hmm. for both their own fleet of vehicles as well as the public transit system.
1: And Didi's doing all this.
0: Exactly. So they're doing this in collaboration with the government, Mm -hmm. right? And this is where I guess at the end of the day, the transportation industry has to embrace the data revolution right yeah,
1: and has to embrace that these new ride sharing ride hailing companies are coming in exactly. with their expertise with their exactly. advanced technology exactly. in data yeah. yeah
0: since you mentioned embracing yeah i think the next player is a very good example
1: yes so the next player is taxi drivers which we briefly talked about a bit ago but yeah so another player in this ride sharing or ride hailing debate are taxis mm-hmm. it's widely known that taxi drivers, they have the most to lose. Maybe not the most, but they have a lot to lose <laughs> yeah. in this ride-sharing debate, whether it's good or not. Mm-hmm. Because for them, it's a huge dent to their income. You know, taxi drivers are striking in various cities. Wherever Uber is opening a new new like service, they're going on a strike.
0: I mean, even to give you guys an example, in Vancouver, one of the biggest resistance for Uber and Lyft mm-hmm. was the local taxi union. Yes. Because... Of the same example is, you know, because of the fact that they were like, oh, we already have so much cost incurred. Yeah. They were extremely worried that their income is going to be significantly affected.
1: Yeah. And it's because of those licenses that we're talking about. Their licenses, or they're also called medallions, they're very expensive. And, well, they are expensive because the government puts a cap on how many cars can be Mm -hmm. on the road. Mm -hmm. So the supply of licenses is fixed, whereas the demand is really high. So it pushes the cost of obtaining this license. That's Economics 101 for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So for taxi drivers, that's a large investment that they've incurred mm-hmm. and based their lives on.
0: Mm-hmm. So
1: this disruption is cutting off their income.
0: Mm-hmm. So at the end of the day, um, that's that's a fact, right? That yeah. Of course, Like, it's not just in the transportation industry. In any sort of industry, whenever there's a sort of disruption or there's an evolution, I would say, there are a certain chunk of people or parts of the industry that I will either fall behind or you have to evolve with the new business model. I very much agree with that. Um, So I think because... Understanding the human cost of this disruption, uh, some of the ride-hailing apps are trying to integrate taxi drivers into their business model. How so? So Uber introduced something called Uber Flash in Hong Kong this year. Um, they introduced it in Singapore in twenty eighteen. Essentially, what it does is passengers will be matched with nearby taxis or an Uber X vehicle with transactions settled through the app. So essentially, you're not just looking at private vehicles when you open the app. Mm-hmm. Taxis are also going to show up. Yeah. Right. So essentially, that get that gives taxi drivers kind of like. Level playing field that hey, we're also competing with the same people, right? So, Mm -hmm. our business is not getting hurt, yeah. Because it's a level playing field, or you're at least
1: given a chance to compete,
0: exactly, Mm -hmm. exactly.
1: So, and you give give more options to the consumer, which exactly, yeah.
0: So, I think at the end of the day, taxi industry needs to understand that you need to evolve your business model, Mm -hmm. you can't keep your consumers hostage to an outdated business model when, as consumers, we have greater information or greater access to information that we can access a better level of service. Yeah. So why not? Mm -hmm. Right? Yeah. Okay. So I guess we have looked into public transit, congestion, and taxi drivers, some of the players essentially who... Mm -hmm ride-sharing is essentially up against, right? Now, let's dive into how ride-sharing affects the future of urban planning. Mm -hmm. So knowing how traditional transportation models are being disrupted, the design of cities is changing. The aim of urban and transportation planners is um, to design for sustainable, livable cities. Mm-hmm. The target being to design for movement of people over the movement of cars. So to elaborate that, on that a bit, when the car industry boomed in the 20th century, um, transportation planners used to design cities around the movement of cars. But, but now the lives of people significantly different than even 50 years ago. Yeah. For example, people bike more, um, people use these ride-sharing apps, or even walk more, right? Mm-hmm. Cities need to be planned in terms of of the movement of people so and as we discussed ride hailing may be leading to a higher number of cars on the road so let's welcome our resident (laughs) engineer to share some thoughts about the future of transportation
1: thank you thank you (laughs) but yeah that's very true i think we mentioned it quite a few times congestion congestion Mm -hmm. congestion that's that's one of the main challenges of Mm -hmm. just having the traditional ride hailing method There's more cars on the road. Mm -hmm. But thanks to the ride-sharing apps, the ride-hailing apps, embracing carpooling and integration and working with data to create a better transportation model and with other transportation modes that are being integrated into this, the Mm -hmm. planners are still being able to design for people instead of cars. Mm -hmm. So for the movement of people through public transit rather than cars Mm -hmm. being able to park or whatnot. So they're doing this by integrating the public transit, car ride-sharing, bike-sharing, and all these available methods almost creates an incentive for people to distance themselves from personal vehicle ownership. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So a study from McKinsey and Company predicts that vehicle ownership will move from being the dominant form of mobility to becoming a much, much smaller pie of -hmm. the whole transportation. Mm -hmm. Much more smaller piece of the whole transportation pie. Mm -hmm. So. Because of this shift, governments will be forced to regulate ride sharing platforms more, such as Uber, so that they can operate fairly in cities because the demand for them will be higher, right? Yeah. And cities will have to embrace this ride sharing, this ride sharing, ride hailing surge that's coming in because they're here to stay. And yeah. so rather than fighting them, cities should look for ways to integrate them. And similarly, into their,
0: uh, these yeah. riding apps also need to collaborate Cooperate, and yeah. integrate with the government, mm-hmm, right? Exactly. In order to make sure that, hey, there's, functioning their business, making money, serving the customers, and as well as Serving the community at large. Yeah.
1: So basically, in more transportation words, you're creating a multimodal system. So Mm -hmm. different modes of transportation available Mm -hmm. to consumers. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And basically reduce the modal share of personal vehicles. Mm -hmm. So as cities are designing to increase walkability and bikeability and ride-sharing, Uber is doing the same. Mm -hmm. They're incorporating data from public transit into their apps, like we mentioned before. They're showing the availability and times of ferries, buses, trains, car co-ops, bike-sharing, etc., etc.
0: And I uh, Mm -hmm. and, uh, I know that Grab... In uh, Indonesia, they also started this. I think something sometime around the early this year, mm-hmm. or maybe it was last year. Um, they started the same thing. It it became multimodal, multimodal, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, incorporating all these different modes of transportation. Yeah.
1: Okay. So back to design. So we've seen cities being designed for people rather than cars now. So land allocation has used or land use has land use has changed. So one of the main when I say designing for cars, one of the main things is parking, right? So you're creating more parking infrastructure in your cities. You're creating more parking spaces when you're mm-hmm. designing for cars. But now, when, when you design for people, you're essentially creating ways for them to move. So less parking infrastructure is being created. Mm-hmm. Because say you have ride-hailing and ride-sharing becomes more incorporated into your day-to-day life. You won't have a personal vehicle that you always need to park. You, you n- There might be designated parking spots. or like, You don't have that hassle of always having to just take care of your car with you. You kind of leave it in a spot and you go. So now the need for parking is less. And when you have a less need for parking, you can use that land to create a more vibrant city in terms of reclaim that land so you have more greenery. Like you can create a park in the space that you were going to create a parking structure. And the dependency on cars, it significantly Mm -hmm. reduces.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. So you think this would be frustrating for people, but actually according to a new study in the Journal of Transportation and Land Use, uh, it found that people who use ride hailing are willing to pay more to avoid driving. And I can kind of relate to that because you want to avoid in big cities, you want to avoid the stress mm-hmm. of driving and then parking because the parking spaces are so limited yeah. in uh, busier parts of the cities. You want to also cut down on your cost of parking. Yeah. It incentivizes you. Exactly. Yeah. So as a result, cities are seeing a reduction in parking demand. Mm-hmm. And since right hailing companies have shown interest in uh, cooperating with the government, um, and we, you know, even Lyft has come out and said that you know we are committed to effective, affecting positive change for our cities by promoting transportation equity through shared rides, bike-share systems, electric scooters, and public transit. Oh, electric
1: scooters! Yeah. Yes, that'd be fun. Yeah. Yeah, but yeah, definitely, the future is leaning towards innovation. Mm-hmm. So the Boston Consulting Group, they've mm-hmm. forecasted that more than one quarter of the miles Americans, Americans specifically, mm-hmm. will travel in 2030, will rely on electrified autonomous vehicles. And they these autonomous vehicles they're predicting will be operated by ride sharing services like Lyft and Uber. That's so, why yeah. Uber is
0: investing so heavily in mm-hmm. uh, right, you know, so autonomous vehicles in the yeah. US.
1: Yeah. So yeah, autonomous vehicles are just so cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So with these innovative technologies such as autonomous vehicles. There's going to be significant changes that we can make to our current road mm-hmm. designs. So one of the benefits of autonomous vehicles is that they can be connected. Mm-hmm. With regular vehicles, you have to maintain a certain distance or even like a time second, time gap between. Like if you've taken a driver test, you, they actually ask you, what's, yeah. the, what's the seconds yeah. you should keep yeah. between two cars? But with autonomous vehicles, you can almost connect them. The space between the cars ha- can be much less mm-hmm. because they're just smarter. You know, they're smarter than humans. Mm-hmm. Reaction time. And when you have this, like, normally what you want to maintain, the time difference that you want to maintain between two cars is one to two seconds. But with autonomous vehicles, you can actually only keep 0.5 second gap, Mm -hmm. right? So that gives you a lot of lane capacity. That increases your lane capacity. More cars can fit into one lane. And that distance or that time gap between two cars is referred to as headway. Mm -hmm. So your headway significantly decreases when you have an autonomous vehicle increasing the number of cars you can have on the road and then See,
0: i'd be interested to see how autonomous that headway <laughs> you mentioned because like i know in taka the headway is zero <laughs> no that's true that's there's true. no space between the cars yeah but I, I wonder how autonomous vehicles yeah. would help with that
1: because um, um in general headways there for safety right mm-hmm. so that when you say a car in front of you is or the car behind you is tailgating you or something yeah like it's for safety and yeah. in bangladesh People don't care about safety.
0: No.
1: No, so that's why they don't maintain that headway. Yeah. But autonomous vehicles, they are being made to be for safe driving, mm-hmm. for mm-hmm. the safety. Yeah. Because humans, they make mistakes. Yeah. Well, machines can make mistakes too. But yeah. the hope is that yeah. machines are going to be taught not to make the yeah. mistakes that us yeah. humans make. Yeah. Yeah. But so another benefit of autonomous vehicles is that because they have high sensory accuracy, they can, we can, you know, we can make certain things different because they don't have that human error that previously Mm -hmm. mentioned as well so because of their high sensory accuracy they're able to detect their designated lane better unlike us humans who swerve you know (laughs) so essentially we can have a smaller car lane than car lane width than what we have now because we as humans are driving so the standard lane width is about 3.5 meters depending on what country you're in Mm -hmm. or what city but they can now be decreased to two meters or maybe 2.6 2.6 for larger vehicles. So, say say from 3.5 to 2.5. So, essentially, meters. you're
0: saying that autonomous vehicles don't need that wide of a lane. Yeah, they, they don't. Because the humans, we do, because autonomous vehicles are machines. They're, yeah. They'll be better able to detect mm-hmm. the surrounding vehicles. Yes, exactly. Surrounding, okay.
1: surrounding vehicles and even like the lines that are drawn mm, there, they're just mm-hmm. smarter, you know? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, essentially, smaller lane widths means that there's going to be a lot more space available mm-hmm. for other. For other things. So, land use is changes. So, you can have more greenery. You can yeah. have more bike lanes. You can yeah. have more, uh like, walking paths yeah. and whatnot. So, and more space for transit to be incorporated into that, mm-hmm. into that space that was allocated. Yeah. So, essentially, when your lane widths get smaller or when you require less lane widths, say you can even fit two lanes in the space of one lane now that you have autonomous vehicles, right? Mm-hmm. Maybe not that ambitious, but like maybe one day you can. So instead of having two lanes that are very wide, you just have one lane and you can fit the same number of cars in that lane, yeah, right? Yeah, Because It's more accurate, right? Yeah, exactly. Okay. So in the end, it's going to lead to much... A different kind of road design for us Mm -hmm. in the future, Mm -hmm. yeah. And Mm -hmm. it's gonna and the way that it incorporates with ride hailing services that they they obviously are doing the research, they're investing the money into these technologies to have autonomous ride hailing, Mm -hmm. ride sharing, carpooling services,
0: right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I I think I mean I think it's clear that you know ride. right dealing apps are not all good things um, but it is important to recognize the status quo where they are improving people's lives mm-hmm. um, it essentially provides a means of transportation for uh, certain countries or cities where public transit is not feasible and I'll give you yeah. a quick example of a town uh, called Innisfil in Ontario yeah. in Canada uh, it's a community of 40,000 people north of Toronto and it is a typical small North American town with widely spaced Houses on large lots that makes efficient public transit a logistical challenge. So the town desperately needed transit, and the option, all the three options that they had on the table was three bus routes, and all of them would cost the council one million dollars. So they actually thought of a creative partnership, and this was the first of its kind. It was implemented in 2017, and they essentially wanted to connect all the drivers in town with those that need these rides essentially they made Uber their public transit. Wow. Um, Because because of how widely spaced houses and the buildings are it's very difficult for public transit to, to reach all
1: the necessary yes. stops basically. yeah and it's very costly
0: essentially yeah um so you know so their uber was something that was the best solution at the moment mm-hmm. i mean looking back two years now two years now in 2019 i mean the costs have gone up but i mean at that moment it was something that was available to them and they needed a solution they needed
1: yeah. a that's a clear example of a of a city reaching out to see what can help their citizens, exactly. even if it's something that's private, like Uber. Exactly, exactly, right? Yeah.
0: So um, it needs to be understood that, you know, even in um, at the end of the day, these ride-hailing apps provide people with a way to get to places. And in the, in, we're living in a world where, you know, emerging, even in emerging economies, uh, there's like this explosive sort of boom, of boom of urbanization, right? More people are moving into urban areas, into yeah. cities. And the middle class is booming. Yes. Right? There are more people in the middle class. So essentially what that means, and this is something that, you know, coming from Dhaka, we see this a lot, that we have a lot of buildings clustered in the same area. So imagine if that's like, say, 10 to 12 buildings, right? And each building has, say, 10 to 15 floors and each floor has, say, 6 to 12 units. That's almost like a couple of thousands of people you've got right there in sort of a community, Mm -hmm. right? And they're all like similar social status and says that they're all middle class so they're most likely going to be using Uber Eats or uh, in Dhaka they would be using Patao, so it becomes much easier to efficiently deliver like goods to this one cluster Mm -hmm. right so what is interesting is in line of you know in considering the needs of the people and the customers in these cities a lot of these uh Asian apps, Asian right-hailing apps like Patau in Bangladesh, uh, Grab in uh, Singapore, Gojek in Indonesia, yeah. and WeChat in China, they're now evolving into a super app. Uh, Where they're actually where that app is not only about ride hailing, mm -hmm. it's also about like food delivery, payment system, uh, online shopping, right? They're morphing into a super app, right? That's why they're the
1: Amazon, exactly. Which is what Uber is trying to be.
0: (laughs) Exactly. So I think you know at the end of the day, public infrastructure needs to be improved in most of these places where there's congestion. Sure, but it's not feasible there's bureaucracy there's red tape as we mentioned and I think collaboration is something that is important in the mm-hmm. short term because you can't keep, you can't expect these you know, one can't say that oh, these ride healing apps should just stop like, you know, completely. Like, hey, yeah. Vancouver is a prime example <laughs> of, of <laughs> ride healing apps not operating. And I know this for a fact that every Vancouver, right, is like why are they not here? Yeah, exactly. Like, so. I know for a fact that our city loses out so much money in tourism because tourists are not able to travel around the city as mm-hmm. much because let's face it, transit, an affordable rate, yeah. Exactly. Transit does not reach every corner of the city yeah so and cabs are extremely expensive very yeah Yeah.
1: so there's no denying that there's benefits and there's conveniences with Mm -hmm. ride sharing and ride hailing but I and you know like you said in the a while ago I don't think we could go back to a place where ride hailing or say car sharing Mm -hmm. that it didn't exist like even in a day-to-day basis I use Evo and um, Cardigo which are two services where you it's a car co-op car share co-op yeah so like these different modes of providing me a way to get around the city. They're necessary. Right. I can't just keep relying on taxis or public transit. Like,
0: but they, but those essentially, but those are not really like. They're nowhere near like Uber and Lyft. Right? Yeah. We want them, right? Yeah,
1: we definitely want them. But I'm just yeah. saying, like in general, like the different modes of transport mm-hmm. is going to be the future yeah. of of transportation. You know, yeah. that's I think that's where we all have to go. And just like Asia is making these huge huge improvements and huge technological advancements like yeah. North America, Vancouver, especially, needs to get on it, you know? Yeah, yeah. Right. and just like any relatively new phenomenon or service, especially something that is so technologically advanced, yeah. we may not have anticipated its challenges, you know? Like, for the past few episodes, we've been talking about, say, big data versus privacy. We've been talking about cell phone companies versus consumers. And now this, it's all about it's these new phenomena that came up and we didn't expect all these challenges. And now we have all these challenges and now we have to figure it out. Yeah, and even how do you we, figure it out? We, Collaboration, yeah. I mean, integration. We spoke about
0: it in retail, right? In yeah, exactly, retail.
1: So right? there's new retail trends that are coming out, yeah. online e-commerce, and now we have to collaborate. We yeah. have to integrate. Yeah. So I think once we do collaborate, once we do integrate, it's going to be great. Like, mm-hmm. I think... I'm always, like, early adopter of technology. (laughs) I'm always for new things coming out. And I think, I really do think we can solve the challenges that come our way. And one of the ways to solve these is if companies, they work with governments and municipalities Mm -hmm. to get, to get, to be regulated properly, to provide the best service to Mm -hmm. customers and consumers and to continue working on their research and And, transformative uh, technology.
0: And, you know... Evolve with the time and exactly. harness the vast amount of data that these ride-hailing companies mm-hmm. have. Exactly, because at the end of the day, both public transit, government and these ride-hailing apps—they're trying to provide a service to consumers. Yeah. And if you really want to think about the consumer, you need to find a way to work with each other as opposed yes. to, you know, eliminating one or the other. It's yeah. not possible, honestly.
1: No. So work with each other, work yeah. with the governments, acknowledge your social responsibility yeah. and your duty to consumers who are that's your main duty. Yeah. And you know, I think challenges are going to come, but technology, it's there to tackle and implement yeah. solutions. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. That's all we have for today, friends. Yeah. <laughs> you can find us on apple Podcasts, on spotify we're also available on deezer as well as podbean
0: yes okay so i guess we're done it's mm-hmm. like 11 30 at night and i have to go back home yes and you can stay over i mean i'd like my bed <laughs> <laughs> but it's like 11 30 and transit is gonna be a pain mm-hmm. and cab would be a good 40 bucks and Uber. oh i'm sorry we don't have Uber, <laughs> so that's pretty frustrating it's coming guys yeah so